talk for a little while about old times, about high school and old friends. The candles flicker and the waiter hovers and we're having a pretty nice time. But eventually he gets down to brass tacks. Hey there, welcome to Grit, true stories that matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the personal narrative kind, and the people that craft and tell them. Each week, a storyteller will tell one of their stories and then break it down with me, Sean. Why? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, but also to help you Our listeners craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. This week, my guest is Kat Dean. I've known Kat for a few years. We live in the same area of North Carolina and we're involved in the theater community. But I've gotten to know her a lot better through storytelling, which she really started just last year. And she's gotten really good really fast. So today, Kat is going to share one of her stories. It's about five minutes, and then she and I are going to break it down. Before we get to the story and the breakdown, this Sunday, we have a 99-second story slam. It's a lot of fun. So if you want to watch it or maybe tell a story at it, I'll put that information in the show notes. And next week, we've got a beginner's boot camp starting up on Thursday. So if you want to learn how to do this stuff or maybe get a little better, check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun and you will learn. Finally, if you listen on Apple, please help us out by rating and reviewing this podcast. It really does help people find it. Thanks. Okay, Kat Dean, let's dive in. Okay, Kat, so you know how this works. You tell a story. And then we'll talk about the story. Yeah. And, and actually, it can be noted that this is something I'm still working on. It's still kind of evolving. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm getting ready to go out. My husband has asked me to have dinner with him in a very fancy restaurant. Now, you know, the kind with the white tablecloth and the flickering candlelight that looks so romantic and the deferential waiter who knows exactly what kind of wine you want, even though you have no idea what kind of wine goes with what. Right. So now that's the kind of restaurant. And I want to look gorgeous, hot even. Right. So I've put on my fanciest dress, which I bought for just this occasion. And I have on makeup. And I've curled my hair with a curling iron, which I bought for just this occasion. And I'm ready. I have my keys, my purse, and an envelope containing a gift for Carl. See, he's asked me to this dinner to discuss something important. See, he just wants to come home. He misses his wife and two daughters, who are six and three. See, we've been separated for about six months now. When I get to the restaurant, he's already there early for a lovely change. And I can see that he has a fresh haircut and he has on a suit and tie, which he likely bought for just this occasion. And I can see through this brand new crisp white dress shirt that the T-shirt underneath has the name of the band Rush. Um, And we laugh 
about this together because this is so totally us. I mean, we're just playing dress up, pretend. The real us would be wearing like torn jeans and boots and something like that. And, and this is the way we like it. But it is fun to shine up for one evening and to feel like a glamorous couple, even if the waiter likely sees right through us. See, we, we talk for a little while about old times, about high school and old friends and such as that. And the candles flicker and the waiter hovers and we're having a pretty nice time. But eventually he gets down to brass tacks. He begins to lay out his plan to be the very best husband and daddy the world has ever seen. He's going to start doing his share of the chores around the house. Yeah. And he's going to watch the kids some night so I can go out with my friends. And best of all, drum roll, drum roll, he's going to get a real job. The kind of job that has a paycheck every week. And, and you can deposit the paycheck in a bank and pay bills. Yeah. Oh, oh, and, and he's going to pay, pay bills now. Yeah. See, up to now, he's done none of these things, which has been mostly okay, because it's how we live together. We didn't keep steady jobs. We rode our motorcycle around the mountains of New York and we, and when we should have been working. And, and we stayed in bars late at night, partying. And whatever we, whenever we got tired of a place, we just moved. We enjoyed living this drifty life, but I have two kids. I can't live like a brat forever. I mean, I don't plan on becoming stodgy and old, but they're the minimum adult standard I, I have to meet now. And he says he's on board for this grown-up life. Carl leans back in his chair and he and he gives me this this smile, the that's that very smile, the one that has been winning me over since the 10th grade with that rakish bad boy look. And he says, "Well, and I I can see that he's feeling pretty good about his chances." I don't say anything immediately. This has actually been a nice evening. I remember a little bit about why I once enjoyed being married to him. And we did not argue one time. Finally, I lean forward and I push my plate away from me to rest my elbows on the table. And I smile into his face. I know all about Michelle. Tell her I said hi. I slowly slide the envelope across the table to him the envelope containing our divorce papers. And I get up and I walk out into the night air. I'm free. I am as free as those millions of stars up in that frozen sky. And it feels so good. Okay, so we're talking. Remember this, we're two people talking and then the people that are hearing this, we don't want them to be really bored. No. And we don't want them to be going elsewhere. That we want them to stay listening. Yes. Much like a story, right? Yeah. We want to keep people engaged and what happens next, it's the same for the podcast conversation. Oh, yes. I've known Kat for probably a few years. We know each other through the theater community here in the Triangle. We both are cast members in a local troupe. We'll leave it at that. At some point, not that long after the lockdown, 
Kat started doing some story stuff with my world in my little world here that I've created my little bubble within a bubble. Cat works hard at it, right? Because we have a I have something called the swap shop. Cat regularly comes and gives and gets feedback and blah, 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 blah. You know, I just said I wasn't going to bore people and they're already like yawning. Sean, (laughs) enough. How many versions of this story have you penned? Let me see. Have I got, ver- I mean, it's it's just kind of morphs every time I tell it because I think of something right. or I forget something. So you had versions of the story because I've heard it before. Yeah. And each time you tell it, something changes or more than one thing changes. Yeah, usually. Why? Because I know some, I, I know some people write down what they plan to do and then memorize it. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do that and I hated it. So I just yeah. kind of tell it from my memory, which means today I might remember the t-shirt underneath the white shirt but then next time i might go oh yeah that's right he was you know so it changes every time so when you do it that way when you don't memorize it certain details you might include or not include but the heart of the story the story part of the story when we say like what's it about has that changed or has that stayed the same throughout the ultimate core has not changed But a few things have changed. Like I did sort of remember in telling it that like I was sort of remembering, yeah, we used to have fun together. You're actually, you know, there were cool things about And when I first told it, I was like, this is a rotten guy. Oh, we hate him. But in this story, I started to remember, yeah, he's pretty, you know, complex guy too. And and I like the story better when I remember things like that. I think think it's an interesting story. I agree. Yes. It's a little bit. I don't know, maybe the word's predictable or even a bit boring if it's just my asshole ex-husband. And let me tell you, he's an asshole. It's like, okay, that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that story, but it's more interesting, dynamic maybe, when it's like, oh, the nuance of actual relationships. You once loved him. Yeah. Shit didn't work out. That's more. Right, right. Mm. So so in a way it has changed. I'm also kind of acknowledging in the uh, final version of the story, in the, in the original version of the story, here's this jerky had this affair and that's why we're divorcing. But in this version, at least I think I'm sort of acknowledging that I'm the one who's changing. He didn't break the rules of our marriage by changing and doing, I mean, cheating wasn't nice, obviously, but I'm the one who ultimately changed the rules that ended the marriage. So, and I think, I hope, I, I hope it's clear in the final telling. Yeah. I get that, you know? And I think for most stories, it's typically more interesting if the person who's telling it is the one who made to change or had some realization as opposed to yeah. something external. More interesting test. You're the person who's talking about it. Right, right. And I actually think so-and-so is a, a big, awful, mean monster is not that compelling a story to me. It's not that interesting. Okay. To me. So. And I think it's a trap a lot of newer storytellers or less experienced storytellers. That's a trap that they'll fall into. Oh, there are no newer. I don't think there's any newer storytellers, though. I mean, I literally no. started this a few months ago. So. It was more than that. No, when was it? it you're right. It was May. May. No, it's almost a year. No. Wow, no. that is a whole year. But also, you, yeah, but people come into it with different, even though this is subjective skills or ability. I mean, some people just sort of have a knack for it and they learn quickly and they're in, and others don't. Yeah, and, I, and I've always written, so. There's that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It wasn't as if this is completely new, like some accounting software where it would be like completely new. Yeah, that no. would be new. <laughs> <Right in. laughs> you do a few things that I think are really cool. You start a lot of your stories, including this one, in a scene in the present tense. 
using the actual present tense. A lot of your stories, including this one, I'm standing in spa, ba, ba. I'm staring at, I'm walking, right? Yeah, absolutely. I hope that somebody is like seeing almost a movie in their head because that's, I mean, to me, that's the only way it would be interesting is if they're kind of picturing it and they may be picturing me in a blue dress instead of a red, but they are picturing something. That's why I started that way. So that they're picturing something. That's really big. You're right. So to get people to start picturing or imagining or something concrete. Right. If it's just words, then it's not going to be very fun. But if they're actually picturing a little movie in their head, of how it's going, then they're almost like they're sitting there too. So, I mean, I was hoping people would almost feel like they were sitting there next to Carl thinking and feeling things that he was thinking and feeling a little bit. And is this came up in a recent talk where thinking twice about or before starting a story with background information or certainly a lot of background. So it's cool because you start in a scene, you start in sort of movement or motion and then you do add some background information, but you don't start with it. So by the time you add it, it's like we're already more invested. We're already thinking about the scene and then we have an idea of why it matters. So now we'll listen to that more, Like I think. When I'm listening to a story, if I'm not on board in the first three sentences, then I'm probably not going to get on board unless you have something amazing happen. That, that means to, to me, people who start with that kind of stuff, I'm usually playing with my phone or whatever by the time they get to the juice because I'm I just didn't ever get invested and and I don't think a story has to be like this huge cataclysmic war story I think a lot of really simple things can be very interesting but you have to make it interesting you have to make it interesting right you have to invest in if you aren't invested in telling it with animation and and interest then it's not going to be received that way I don't Probably story, true. This story doesn't have any exciting action. It doesn't have no. any fireworks or bombs going off. It's just two people sitting at a dinner table. So if somebody's going to be interested, I have to invest in that, like immediately. You don't want to assume ever that just because you're opening your mouth, people want to hear what you have to say. Oh, I'm sure they do not. Even if they do, I think it makes more sense to assume they don't. So then you have to work a little bit harder or smarter, or whatever it is, to craft something in which we do want to hear it. But I think there's some misunderstandings about what tends to work or be more effective in terms of, right? So something I'm thinking about is people who are over-animating or over-emoting, thinking that's a way, and just one thing that popped into my head, one way to, to interest us or keep us engaged, I think often backfires. Oh God, yeah. Some of the most cringy things I've heard have been people who are trying to treat it more like an acting job than I, what I think, what I want, maybe I should say what I want. What I want in a story is to feel like a person who is my friend, is sharing something with me that they're, they think is interesting, that I'm gonna think is interesting. And I don't want to hear silly accents. I don't want to hear, oh, no, Beauregard, how could that be? I don't want to hear that. (laughs) I want to hear, I made that up. I've never heard anybody say, oh, no, Beauregard, how can that be? Just for All right. So I want to point out a few other things that I like. Okay. All right. I think you do always, and I know you in a way that some of the listeners might not, but like you do funny well. Oh, yay. That like you understand humor. You use it to your advantage. You use it to keep us engaged. So that's really good. And I don't know, this is going to be unpopular. I think some people 
they're just better off never really trying to do that. Maybe. They're yeah. just not going to do it well. That's a jerky thing to say because everyone could be better, but some people are just better at that. I definitely think people should figure out what of their skill set works for what they can do. Me, I almost always see the humor in even the most messed up stuff. Mm. And that's just part of the way I see the world. And, I, and so I'm not actually trying to be funny. I'm just, that's literally the kind of thing I see. I mean, even like, you know, last year I, I fell and I broke my ankle really, really badly. I, even there, I saw some humor in it. I, de- I mean, I, I definitely saw, I mean, I thought it was funny that I didn't drop my taco, you know, and I, and I thought it was funny the way some of the people reacted. So, so it's not like I'm ever trying to be funny. It's just, I think some things are funny. Right. And I think for our sake, it's also, why do you, for this story, for example, you do a couple of things and the humor and painting your ex, Carl, in mostly a good light. So why do you do that? And those might be two different questions. So we had said earlier, like it's a more interesting story, perhaps to not just make him the bad guy. But so for this story, why do you spend time making him this nice guy or this good guy or whatever you want to call it? I mean, no, I don't. I wasn't trying to make him a nice guy or a good guy. I was trying to make him a human guy. I mean, I think people are what's interesting. And they think, you know, like even in comedy, like I think people in their weird junk is what's interesting. I don't think mean bad guys are all that interesting. You know, eventually my eyes kind of roll, roll back and I'm like bored. People are interesting and he's fascinating and I'm fascinating. You're fascinating. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. What was the harder, what was one of the harder things to figure out? about putting this story together? The hardest part of this story is literally nothing much happens. I mean, literally, there's not a lot of action and moving and all that. So whatever I did tell had to be as compelling as possible. And the pictures, I, I had to create pictures a lot more carefully. Otherwise, you know, you would just have two people sitting at a table talking. That could get boring really fast. Yes. And if we were, and we're not going to do this, but if we were to actually look at the words that you said, you would see that you probably put some time into how you actually crafted those words to make it work, as opposed to somebody just talking about a conversation with somebody at dinner. The default for most people, it's just not going to be particularly interesting the way you, regardless of what's said, it's the crafting. No. Yeah. I mean, the only actual incident was like the very last bit where I slide an envelope across the table. And that's a pretty small incident to craft a story around. So that's what sparked me to think of the story is I just remembered, you know, looking at him and he's like, yeah, he's, he's lying to me right now. He's got a girlfriend and he's lying to me about it. You know, so for me just to slide that across the table, I thought was kind of, I was trying to be funny a little bit, you know, but that's that's a whole story around what thirty seconds. Yeah, a huge thirty seconds from my life. Is there? I think we've talked about the story or one version of it at another point. And I think one of the things I said was, I'm not sure if it's fully honest because you're misdirecting us in a sense. You do this clever thing where you say, "I have I put this gift in my bag." Yeah. Early on, right, as a sort of breadcrumb, make us think what's the gift, and that ultimately is the divorce papers. But while you're while you're telling the story, the whole time you're actually very aware of what's going on, and you know you're going to lay that bomb on him. Yeah. So, from my point of view, the things you talk about him are true, 
But I get the sense that maybe in the story he's got a chance, but he has no chance. No, he had no chance. <laughs> but in, in, in a way, it's dishonest, but no more dishonest than I was in letting him talk all night. So, I mean, that's right. part of that. That's the, that's the thing is I was letting, hopefully, the audience be kind of sitting beside him, playing his game alongside him. You're listening to him and you're getting the news at the same time he does. So in that way, it's not it's in the, that way. It's honest because you were getting to see the story from that side the same way it played yes. out. So when we talk about discovery, which which overlaps a lot with surprise, you do that really well. You don't give anything away. You And a lot of people do this. In fact, I think people sometimes need to be shown what they're doing, hit over the head with it almost like, oh, wow, yeah, I am telling you what's going to happen before it happens. Well, that's one thing I actually, in my original telling, I, I changed a few words that I thought were key. Like at one, one point I said, he asked me to meet him at a restaurant. That's a tell. We're meeting there, not going together. And so I kind of reworded it to say, he asked me to have dinner with him. You know, so there were a few ways I had to Wait. actually fix it. So I wasn't accidentally telling you. Why is that a tell? Just to me. Like if I were to go to a restaurant with my daughter who lives, you know, who's in the other room right now doing her homework, we wouldn't meet at a restaurant. We'd go to a restaurant. Right. A hundred percent. So by meeting at, at that point in the story, you don't want us to know what we don't need to know. Right. And I don't think it would tell you, but it would give you a little piece that you may not even know how to interpret that later made it made sense. So I changed a few little words that didn't necessarily say outright what was happening. They would give away a little bit, not that interesting a detail, but still. <laughs> no. And also you've changed the ending several times. Do you remember another version's ending, whether it's word for word or just the idea of it and how it's different than this ending? I think I explained a little more in one ending where I was like, I really, you know, what was I, uh, I uh, Michelle, I, I owe a debt of gratitude or something. And I decided you know, it didn't matter. You know, the whole point mm. was that I had a dinner with him. I did have some nostalgic moments, but ultimately I'm free. I can go get on with my life. And that was the real deal. And I didn't yes. need to explain anything else. Yeah, I sort of figured whoever's listening, let's give them credit for being smart yes. and having to be, have it spelled out for them. I personally, I appreciate that. You yeah. give me, give, give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm not, I'm smart enough to get it. Right. And I believe you are. Thank you very much. <laughs> and there's a saying because it's true, when the story's over, end it, right? right? And so arguably, when you give him the envelope, we know that you know about the girl. He knows you know about the girl, the woman. We know all of this too. The story, if, not, isn't, if it's not over, it's almost over, probably. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and actually, I tend to have a bad habit of TED-talking people, explaining stuff. I do often have to go back and say, no, no, don't explain, don't explain. If they don't get it from the story, then you didn't tell the story right. They don't need you to explain what you just said. So I, I remove some TED-talk elements from it. And, you know, <laughs> you know and, and again, may, you know, there may be somebody scratching their head going, wait, what? I don't, uh, why, why did, they, you know, but I don't think most people will. No, I think it. we, it's clear. Yeah be sort of a natural thing for you you have to really figure it out and work and craft and recraft the way you characterize people like you're i don't have it i don't have it memorized but it or remembered exactly but something about just the way you all dress and you're the kind of people that typically do this but tonight is different like does that spill out of you or are you like is that an editing thing huh i don't think i thought much about it 
I think I was just picturing it, you know, I was yeah. kind of just picturing, you know, like, I mean, to me, I, when, it, when I saw that white shirt and it was so, so unwrinkled, it was obvious right out of the package. And I could see the, the black t-shirt underneath with the name rush across it. And I right. thought that's him. This is the guy I'm married. Right. And I, and I actually thought it was kind of endearing. I was like, you went out and bought a brand new shirt and then you right. fucked it up. That is so he's, perfect. He's trying. <laughs> I love that because I think a lot of people can relate to it on some, whether it's them or their cousin or their buddy. We know the person who has the dress shirt and you could see the logo underneath in the dark. It's too dark. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry if I, I said a curse word. Sorry about that. No, you can curse. Okay. Uh, that was a great detail because it mattered. It really helped us understand him and thus your, to, to some degree, your relationship. But you also said earlier that you didn't matter if you were wearing a red dress or a blue dress. We'll picture what we want to picture, right? Yeah. So I think it's hard for me and I think for many people who are crafting these to figure out, some details are obvious to include, some are clearly not related, but those, there tend to be a lot of details where you're not sure maybe this is going to be work. So how do you, or maybe it'd be easiest if I ask in relationship to, specifically to this story, how do you figure out what information slash details to include? I don't want people trying to juggle a bunch of facts. So that I really try and stick to the, as many visuals as I can, because you can keep a visual pretty well, but trying to remember a waiter's name or whatever, it just starts to jumble. And even if they're great details, you know, even if you remembered that the waiter was Bob and whatever, you know, if people are trying to juggle all those details. They're going to just like, eh. but visuals, you can almost always remember. Yes. So, so then the question is, which visuals matter more? Right, right. Yeah, you're right. I could mention the color of the waiter's shoes and blah, blah, blah. I guess if they try, if they tell you more about the people at hand. Mm -hmm. For this story. Right, for this story. Right. If they don't really tell you anything about the people at hand and really don't move the sense memories forward, then I'm not going to be interested. Like a sense memory too, like remembering something was really cold or mm -hmm. something like that. Anything has a sense memory I, I like to include, but other than that, I don't include too many. Something else you do often with both your stories and feedback. I'm the guy, the person who typically says after someone shares their story, What's your story about? It's not clear. Yeah. You, more often than not, will say, I want to know more about how you're feeling. Yeah. So why do you focus so much of your time or energy with feedback on how someone's feeling? What does it matter? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, I'll hear a story and I'll think they just told me what happened. They told me the details of an event that happened, but I don't know what it means to them at all. Okay. You know, like, uh, you know, if, if you were terrified, then let's hear. And I also don't want just to, don't just say I was terrified. I mean, let me know that you were shaking. Let me know that you couldn't think of what to do because you were so confused. Let me know that. Don't just say I was terrified because that doesn't mean anything. Um, I mean, some of those words can mean something, but I think it's usually more powerful if you, you know, the old show don't tell. Yeah. But also when you show us with your words and you are telling with words, but you're showing us and we figure out that you're terrified is more satisfying to us as yeah. opposed to saying I was terrified. I, as the person who's hearing, I'm like, oh man, she's, she's terrified. That's better for me. Right. That's a story. I mean, 
I mean, to me, that's that's the story. The story isn't the event. The story is the you. That that's that's the story. I mean, you know, again, the, the event in my story was I sat down and had dinner with the guy, and then I broke up with him. That's what happened. That's what happened. But that's not nearly as interesting as knowing how people are feeling. And and I mean, even I, I like a lot. I like sense memories a lot. I really like sense memories. I like to kind of feel like I'm feeling those feelings and the fear or the anger, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in people telling me the, the you know what happened as much. Right. Anecdote only, usually not great. Yeah. Add some feeling, add some change. That's what the story's about. They overlap. There you have a story. Yeah. Yeah. So people are interesting. Events are, some are interesting. You know, events are right. not interesting. You have to have, I guess, I suppose certain events told in certain ways, you can get away with it, right? Probably a big event or a crazy event or a scary event will give you a little more latitude maybe just because it's like, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. But even then, even those stories could be better if they had the people in them. Yes, for sure. Is there anything else about this story and the process that you want to share? For people, especially people who are newish to this, ish, or maybe not so new, but you know, everyone can get better. Oh, I, I hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing is, it's like I always when when you first approached me about joining the story group, I was like, I, I don't have any stories. I don't. Uh, and it's like people have a million stories, and they're good ones, and they're and a lot of them are even important ones. And so you definitely have a story and it's worth it's worth exploring how to tell it. And it should be fun for crying out loud. I mean, if the event to you is fun or funny or deep or something, let us in on it. Let us mm. enjoy that, that fun, funny, deep stuff too. Because I'm, I'm doing it because I'm having fun. That's good. Yeah. And I would stop immediately if I stopped having fun. And if I did have a pro tip, it would be just to remember to keep to put you in the story, your, yes. your thoughts, your your wishes in the story. Put yourself in the damn story. Yeah. For people who want to learn more, always present company excluded. Do you have a favorite storyteller? This could get awkward given we know some of the same people. Is there a storyteller you like that maybe people could check out? to be entertained and learn uh, from? A couple of storytellers whose stories I, I do always like. I do like Richard's stories. Yeah, Richard's Richard's got some skills. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and his, his stories, I mean, first of all, his life has been insane. Right. So it's like his, <laughs> and, and he tells it well. So it's like, not a trifecta, because that would need three, but it's like two really awesome things. Awesome, fascinating life, plus he tells it well. And I like Corey's stories because he tends to tell stories that are very, very timely and very emotional and very honest. Mm-hmm. His, his stories are just like almost as a punch to the chest. It's like, whoa, he really helps you understand more about his life in a way that, that keeps you fascinated to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard to do. For our listeners, Kat is referring to Richard Munchkin and Corey Thomas May. I'll put their information in the show notes if you want to check them out and learn more. It's interesting because Corey, 
Corey's got more of a background from Toastmasters, so public speaking or professional speaking. And yeah. Richard's got more of a background in his other life, not the gambling stuff, with screen films and screenwriting and directing. So it's interesting to see how people's the, how they've spent their time. It how, is, um, but then again, I also have heard people who do both of those things whose stories are too Toastmastery or too yeah. theatrical. Yeah. So they do really good actual stories. Yeah, theatrical or like very, very scene heavy, which yeah. is a good problem to have. But then we would say, how are you feeling in this moment? Or what's it really about? And what's the change? That would be the feedback we'd probably give. Yeah. Sweet. So you shared a story. We talked about the story. I like that story. And you told it well. Thanks again for your story and talking. Oh, fun. I'm going to stop talking soon. Yay. And then we'll find a way to end this. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Kat Dean in North Carolina. Thanks, Kat, for your story and for breaking it down with me. Remember, we've got a 99-second story slam this Sunday. You can watch it or even tell at it. And later this week, we've got a beginner's boot camp. So if you want to learn more about how to craft and tell true stories, personal stories, grit stories... I'll include all that information in the show notes. I hope to see you at one or maybe both of those. Thanks again for listening. Episode number 24 is done. Boom.